Okay, well, let's get started this morning. Honey, do you have my Bible? Brother Mohan, would you lead us in a word of prayer today? Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to Second Peter. Of course, last uh, we were very went quickly, quite a bit over First Peter, um, but we want to go over some of the uh, some of the introduction to Second Peter. The author for Second Peter is oh, there we go. Actually, believe it or not, the authorship for Second Peter is probably by far one of the most controversial uh, authorships. Uh, to be proven. They say a lot, there's been a lot of uh, misunderstandings about even when they first did the canonization of the Bible, of the New Testament, there was some doubt about Second Peter being one of them. And so, in, in a sense, we do the modern, of course, the modern part of Second Peter works just fine. A lot of people say that those parts of Second Peter um, Whoever had the doubts were completely wrong, and I'm not going to go into it, but that was just a point that I made last week. It was also written, 2 Peter was written from 64 to 67 AD, months before Peter was martyred. And of course we know that Peter was martyred when, or how I guess. The tradition states that Peter was martyred by being crucified upside down. And the reason for that was, is because he did not want to be crucified like his Christ, which was Jesus Christ. Um, the theme of Second Peter is danger of false teachers. Dangers of false teachers. So there was three types of purposes that we find in Second Peter. First of all, it was to stir the believers to growth. Secondly, it was to what? Encourage, encourage, I'm sorry, patience to the Lord's return. And thirdly, it was to encourage proper doctrine and ethics. Well, those three, if you take those three together, it looks at the idea of false teachers. There are sometimes false teachers that will come into church and will be teaching something that is incorrect. That's important why the pastor has to get up and he has to say, Thus saith the Lord, and he has to say, this is important, and this is not right. And if, it, if a pastor's not careful, he'll allow wolves to come in, and he'll allow for them to destroy the church. And that's why it's important. If you look in the turn of the century, 
you found that there was quite a few false prophets, false preachers and teachers that came in to some of the modern denominations. The Methodists used to preach the gospel. The Presbyterians used to preach the gospel. Even further back, Luther, uh, the founder of the Lutheran Church, preached the gospel. But what happened? False teachers came in. They became modernized, liberal. And they've lost the teaching of what God originally had for the content of us as Christians. What do we do as our church? What is the importance? We need to make sure that we are not just following a man, but following God. Does the pastor lead the church? He does. He takes it in the direction he believes God is, is leading him to lead the church. But we as Christians are as much important. What's the difference between a pastor and someone in the pulpit? I mean, sorry, someone in the pew. Is there any difference? There is some differences in jobs, but that does not make him any better or any worse than you. Our job as Christians is just as much important as a pastor. Even though the pastor has given different responsibilities, he has the same job. And what is that job? His job is to bring glory to God. And as us as Christians... We should be determined to say, my job is to bring glory to God, just as much as it is the pastor's. And I, sh I shouldn't have to detract from the importance that God has given me to live for him. All right. So the key word for Second Peter is knowledge. Knowledge. It's mentioned 16 times. Letter F is things to know. Things to know. First of all, you need to know God's word. Secondly, you need to know your enemy. And thirdly, you need to know your guide, which is God. And there's two reasons for knowledge. Those two reasons are having knowledge safeguards against heresy. And secondly, it is a way to spiritual growth. Mohan, do you keep notes? Okay, do you know where we stopped last time? I can't remember if... Okay, that's what I thought. All right, so we talked about last week, and this is where we stopped last week, is A, the safeguards against apostasy. The safeguards against apostasy. Number one, we talked about the maturity of the believers. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is where our text is. We stopped here last week, but the, what we talked about was important, the maturity of the believers. And it says in verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall be come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of, cre of the creation. Is that not true? How many people walk around and say, 
Nothing's different. Nothing's changed. It's the same thing. Our goal should be what? It doesn't matter what goes on around us, but we got to live for Christ. But a lot of people say, well, God hasn't come so far. Where has he been? You know, look at the war, wars that are going on. Look at the unjustification of this world. Look at all the problems that we have. And you ask, why is that? Is God not a part of this world? No, God is a part of this world. And because of sin, this happens. If God were, if people followed God and did what God's will, we wouldn't have these problems, would we? But instead, what happens? People become content in thinking that God is not real. In verse 5, For they are willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. We have the one thing that we have to consider. Is the judgment that's coming. Everybody that is born of a man is eventually going to be judged of God. And why is that? The Bible said, is appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. We have responsibility to understand, hey, it doesn't matter what has happened in the past or what's happening now as far as the world's concerned or what's going to happen in the future. Our main goal is to live by faith every day. When we have this same attitude that says, hey, it doesn't matter, or look at what's happening in the world around us. God's not coming back. God's not a part of this world. What really are we saying? We're saying God's not real. But there is a judgment. In verse 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and are in a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now you think about repentance, good verse to remember on repentance. But here we go. Here we go again. What are we talking about? Listen, God's promises go either way. If God promises judgment for doing sin, it will come true. If God promises judgment for doing right, it'll come through. Either way, yes. I'm Second Peter. One, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be in Second Peter, but I was reading in Second Peter chapter <laughs> three. It's, yeah, instead of one, three through eleven. Wow. Well, you guys got ahead of the game here. Uh, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. All right, let's go back to 3 verse 11. I was wondering, it didn't really match up with my notes, but I thought, well, maybe I just don't remember teaching this. <laughs> all right, let's start again. According to the divine power hath given unto all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? So how are we going to be able to overcome lust? What do you think, Cassie? Right? So the divine starts in the verse 3, according to his divine power, hath he given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that called and hath called us to his glory and virtue. And this is where we went through last time, and we talked about these. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. And to temperance what? Patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things in you abound, they may that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten he was purged from his own sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, making your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. All right, so we didn't talk about that last week. That's why I was kind of teaching on the second part because I was like, I don't remember this at all. Now I know. Yes, we did go over that. Uh, we talked. We have the testimony of Peter, and that's verses twelve through 19 it says wherefore i will not be negligent put you always in remembrance of these things though you know them and be established in the present truth yea i think it meet as long as i am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance knowing that shortly i must put off this my tabernacle even as the lord jesus christ christ has showed me moreover i will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For ye have not followed cunningly and devised fables, when we have made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but that ye were, but we, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, and we were with him in the holy mount. So here we find what? We find the testimony of Peter, right? Peter was telling him exactly what God was putting laying in his heart. He was first of all what? He was remembering his brothers and sisters in Christ. Accountability, one of the, the great things about church is you can be accountable to someone. Okay? Hi, Teresa. How you doing? Hi, Oscar. Hi, Raina. The accountability factor in a church is important. Why? You come to church, people can keep you accountable to the things of God and the things that God wants you to. It's very hard to hide the things of God from the things of God. Listen, you can only live in this world so long and continue on in sin so long before... You don't have a stomach for preaching. You don't have a stomach for teaching. You don't have a stomach for the things of God. Instead, your stomach is only for what? The worldly goods that the world provides. 
God says what? He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I think he's saying that in verse 13. He says, yeah, I think to meet you as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. He's like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to keep you accountable to those things that are important. When we want to make some huge steps in our Christian faith, we need to make our, let our church know that we're going to make those steps. We're going to move forward. What are we going to do? We're going to be accountable. That's why the Bible says to cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. But it also says what? Share your burdens with each other. Right? Share your faults one to another. Right? It even says in the Bible where it says that if a man be overtaken in a fault, what? Restore such a one. Lest what? You be taken over the fault as well. Our church should be a place where we are stirred up. Our church should be a place where we exci- get excited. We leave church and guess what? We're excited for the week to be go- to start because why? We're going to live for Christ. If we have no desire to live for Christ, listen, you're not going to be impo- uh, you're not going to enjoy this church. That's the way your church should be. I've been in churches before where the common um, thought and the common thread is to what? Just sit in a pew. I've known churches where people are living in known sin, but yet they come in day in and day out. Why is that? It's because they're not stirred up. There is no desire to do God's will. And why is that? Starts right here in the church. If the church does not have a healthy spirit, guess what's eventually going to happen? It's going to fall apart. If it doesn't fall apart, it's going to cease to be what? What God intended it to be. Which is a place for people to be stirred up. It says in verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Listen, he's saying, hey, I don't want to just be someone that just kind of comes through, floats through, and you remember me for two days. He says, I want these teachings that I've been giving you, follow me as I follow Christ, type of attitude that Paul had. He says, I want you to remember it long after I'm gone. I guarantee you, there's, there's things that my pastors, my dad's been my pastor most of my life, but I've had other pastors and preachers. Dr. Vogel was my preacher for uh, five years, and I had some preachers after that, um, Dr. Uh, or, uh, Kit Potter. Every one of those pastors, albeit some of them weren't always the best, albeit that, they still gave me understanding that I still keep and remember to this day. And why is that? It's because they stirred it up in me. He always put it towards their remembrance. Verse 16, if you're trying to figure out where we're at, we're in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. For we have not following cunningly devised fables... When we have made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he perceived from God the Father in honor and glory, where there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So here we find what? Where, where was this at in the Bible? Remember? What part of the Bible is he, what part of his testimony is he talking about? Yes, the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Who was there? Okay. Those are two Old Testament. Moses and Elijah and God, right? Who else was there? Who? There's Jesus, right? Jesus and God are the same, but they're still two different persons, right? Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Okay? Peter, James, and John. Those are the three beloved disciples. And we find here Peter's talking about that Mount of Transfiguration. Miss Raina, did I say something wrong? Okay. You kind of look at me like, maybe he's wrong about that. Oh, you can't see, huh? Miss Raina, right here. There's a seat open. Okay. All right. I'm just messing with you, Miss Raina. Okay. So now we find here this is the testimony of Peter. So we're talking about the safeguards of apostasy. First of all, the maturity of believers. Secondly, the testimony of Peter. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the authority of scriptures. Okay? I, I want you guys to consider something. How do these all these three points roll together in the idea of safeguard against apostasy? Apostasy. How does the maturity of the believer safeguard against apostasy? I want you to use your brains this morning. I know it's kind of foggy. It's foggy out there and foggy in here, right? How does maturity of the believer safeguard against apostasy? Anybody know? Trina, you got something? Discernment? Yes. I think that'd be perfect. If we, if we t talk about the idea of the maturity of the believers, it doesn't matter who comes in. They're not easily persuaded by any uh, Joe that comes through the doors of our church. They're not easily persuaded by whatever is being said. They are very diligent to search the scriptures. Okay? When you're a mature Christian, when you're an immature Christian, the next man that comes through that has something to say... And he has got a charisma like none other. He's going to be very easy to follow if you're, if you're a baby Christian and you're immature. Why? Because you're still looking to man. But when someone comes in, then you're a mature Christian and you know they're not teaching right. And they're not teaching God's will and God's way. You're going to say, no, that doesn't line up with the scripture. There's some problems there. Apostasy will not come into the church. Someone came in here and told you that you didn't need to repent of your sins to put your faith and trust in Christ. Listen, you could probably take them to verse after verse after verse. Mr. Oscar has been taking time every Wednesday to talk about memorizing verses. And why is that? Because the more verses you know, the more you're going to be able to combat any type of apostasy. Now the second point here is the testimony of Peter. He's saying, hey, listen. It's not just your maturity that you understand, but you also understand who you're getting it from. I was there. I saw Christ. Okay? You as Christian have to have that same attitude. If you don't have a relationship with Christ and you're trying to disciple someone else, you're never going to be able to disciple that person correctly. Why? Because Christ has to be a part of that discipleship. And you can, you can say all everything you want to, but if the Holy Spirit is not involved, listen, it doesn't matter. They have to first see Christ through you, just like Peter. 
If they don't see Christ, it's not going to work. Why? Because they're going to say, hey, it's just like everybody else in this world. They're no different. It could be sowing, it could be discipleship, whatever it may be. People are going to see right through you if you're living for Christ. Thirdly, we're going to talk about the authority of the scriptures. The authority. In verse 19, it says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy, wherein ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. 19. We're in Second uh, Peter 1, 19. We have more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Alright, so how are we going to avoid apostasy? It's by, first of all, or thirdly, depending on the scriptures. When you don't have the scriptures in front of you, anything goes. It doesn't matter. And I've talked about this idea of safeguarding its apostasy. But this is really the bottom line. It's the last point, but it's not the least point. We have a Bible that tells us how we're to live. And if someone comes in here and spe speaks apostasy, it doesn't even have to be here. It could be at your home. It could be at another church. It could be on the street. How are you going to be dealing with the maturity of the Christian? It's by, first of all, determining that you're not going to take anything unless it lines up with the Word of God. That's why I'm so discouraged when Christians listen to Moody Bible Radio. Because I know that Moody Bible Radio does not line up with the Word of God. Moody Bible might have uh, someone that's going to talk about Christ, a Christ... But they're not going to talk about the Bible, the Christ that's in this Bible. There's liberalism at Moody Bible Radio. There's uh, uh, attitudes of, um, uh, yeah, Catholicism at Moody Bible Radio. They, they even encourage and love on Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was a Catholic. She believed that you had to do works to get to heaven. And I'm going to say right here and right now, you listen to Moody Bible Radio... And you agree, you start just listening and agreeing with whatever they say without reading God's word and determining what's right. You're going to be derided and you're going to end up an apostate. Why? I'm sorry? Derided and you're going deriding meaning that you're not going to be on the right path anymore. You're going to be derided being on the wrong path. Like a rail... Train struggling along, it's derided. It's no longer on the rail, derailed. That type of same uh, philosophy there. So we as Christians, we got to be careful that what we're taking is God's word and not man's word. Now secondly, we talked about the safeguards of, of apostasy. Secondly, let's talk about descriptions of apostasy. And we're in chapter 2 Peter, for those that who just got here, 2 Peter chapter 2. And verse uh, 1 through 22 is where we're going to be at. But we're going to start out with condemnation. Condemnation. And this is verses 1 through 9. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, 
even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious. Anybody want to take a stab at what pernicious means? Pernicious. Got a new word for you. English word. Pernicious. What's that? You're probably right. You're probably right. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Brother Juan's on the right track. Okay. Destructive, wicked, hurtful. All right. Brother Juan was close. The opposite of precious is not is not per, is not uh, is not um, good. Right. It's not going to be right. But in the same way, he says what? He says in verse 2, he says, Are there pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of? Let's just kind of devour this for a second and talk about the idea of false teachers. What is the false teacher trying to do? Are they trying to glorify God or are they trying to glorify themselves? Themselves, right? So when we look at a person, whether it be somebody that we hear in the pulpit or be someone we hear on the street, or it could be at our jobs. If you're not careful and you're a young believer or you're immature in your faith, what's going to happen? You're going to be drawn to that person. Right? How can a Baptist that believes God's word, and you think about the difference between a Baptist and a Jehovah Witness, there are some huge differences. Or even, we knew a girl in Bible college that went to Bible college, for goodness sakes, she went there, what, two years? Two or three years. This girl was in two to three years of Bible college, left Bible college, and got married to a what? A Mormon. How can you go that far? It's right here. What I'm talking about right here. If you don't have a strong faith, if you don't know God's word, you will be what? Easily be able to disinfect from what the faith says. You could go ahead and just do whatever you want because some schmoozer comes along and says, hey, well, look at this and look at this. And if you're not strong in your faith, it doesn't matter. They're going to take you away from what God wants you to do. In verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, fake words would be another word, make merchandise of you. What does that mean? What does it mean to make merchandise of someone? I can think of one way. You have a relationship with this person for one reason. They call it in today's world professional relationship. You don't have a social relationship with that person. What does that mean, professional? It means the only reason you have that relationship is to make money. Okay? I work with uh, a guy downtown. I, he's, he's unsaved as far as I know. But I use, we use each other to do each other's job when we're gone. And the only reason we have the relationship is because of that very reason. Not that he's not a nice guy. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. He's unsaved, but he seems like a nice guy. And I sometimes, you know, I feel bad because, you know, the other day he was talking to me and I was telling him some of the grief I had at work with some of the things that were going on. And uh, <laughs> he, he says, you know, I'm sorry this is going through. And I kind of looked at him and I says, you know, I know. I says, I understand you're afraid to lose me as a backup for your for your gig. I said, I apologize. I, I told him, I says, uh, you know, 
I'll, I'll tell you whenever that happens. And he texted me back that day, and he says, hey, he says, I'm not worried about you being a backup. I just don't want to see you have a rough go of it. And I felt bad because, in a sense, I was, what? I was just had a professional relationship with him. I didn't really think that he had cared about me, you know? And in the same sense, what are these people that are trying to glorify themselves? They're trying to lift themselves up. And they're, the only reason they have a relationship with you is because they are trying to glorify themselves. Merchandise. What does that mean? It means like retail. It means they are trying to make something from you, get something from you. Right? How many ever heard the old Chicago phrase, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? How many ever heard that? That's, what's that? Okay, you're probably right. But to be quite honest with you, we're probably originated in Chicago, didn't it? That's the Chicago way, isn't it? But that's, that's mer making merchandise of someone. The only reason you have a relationship with them is because why? You want them to take care of you. All right? That's what these people that come in that are, are apostate. It says, In the covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So we find here what? They have a condemnation coming. It says in verse 4, For if God spare not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah unto ashes, condemn, with an overflow, condemn them with an overthrow, making them a what? An example or an insample unto those that after should live ungodly, and deliver just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the world, for this man dwelling, uh, dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So we find here the descriptions of apostates. Why shouldn't you not follow these, uh, these people that are trying to make merchandise of you? They're going to be judged just like everybody else. That's ever done wrong and lived ungodly. You follow after them, eventually what's going to happen? We even had a member of this own church, member of this church that left, uh, it was probably about five or six years back. And he went off and uh, followed this guy, followed his hook, line, and sinker, and some of his, his teachings. And to find out later on, found out this guy really didn't know what he was talking about. And he was doing things that were totally against the scriptures. And if I mention the name, you guys would probably remember him. But this guy was teaching that it was okay to be able to, uh, that Christians were eventually going to be in purgatory. Where does that find, you find that in the scriptures? You can't. Why? It's not there. You can follow someone like that, but eventually you know what's going to happen. My old wrestling coach, Mr. Wright, used to say, it always comes out in the wash, right? Right? It always comes out in the wash. You, you ladies know this, don't you? You put something in the laundry, what eventually happens? If it's got a blue pen in there, 
what happens, huh? You know what I'm talking about. My wife knows, especially me. I used to stick a pin right here in my side pocket, and then the clip would clip onto the side, and my wife would not see it because it was right within the seam of my pants. And she'd throw it in the wash. It would do okay in the wash, but did you go throw it in the dryer? Guess what happened? It'd get warm enough, and poo! There'd be ink all over the dryer. There'd be ink all over your pants, ink over everything that you had. And that's kind of the same way with someone that's living in apostate. They're eventually going to show their true colors. They're going to show you who they really are. And if you follow after that person, you're going to be hurt. You're going to face the same judgment that they are facing for leading you astray. That's why it's important to what? Stay in God's word. Got a few minutes here, about three minutes, and we're going to talk secondly about character. Character. So first of all, the description of the conduct of the apostates, they are condemned. They are condemned. Secondly, let's talk about their character. In verse 10 it says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these are natural and brute beasts, makes, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utter and utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of righteous, unrighteousness as they count it a pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Basor, who loved the wages of a righteousness. But he is rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. For these are wells without water, clouds that are carried without, with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity and allure, I think I've gone too far. I did go too far. Let's stop right there. There's some really great word parallels here. And... Uh, Object lessons. I love that. Wells, what does it say? Or it says wells. They are wells without water. That's kind of interesting. What, is he, what are they saying? What makes a well? Why would you go to a well if you're... I'm sorry? To get water. Why would you not go to a well? You need water to live, right? Why would you not go to a well? It was empty, right? What is the power? What is the source that draws you to it? It's the water. People that are apostate, they are missing the source. They are missing the power. You can, you, can, you can fool people only so long, and eventually what happens? You're shown who you are. It's so clear here. It's very interesting here that they put in here, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in verse 10. In the lust of uncleanness and despised government. That's kind of a weird phrase that they put in there, right? Why do, what is government, first of all? Stephanie, you're 
history buff. What is government? I'm sorry? What is its main reason? Serve the people and protect? Okay. But what are they given from God? Got right there. Authority. Despising government. Now, I'm not going to stand here and say, eh, mm-hmm. that Barack Obama, I'll tell you what, he's a bad dude. Okay? He's done some things. I agree with He is He's wicked in a lot of ways. But you know what? I respect his office of president. I might not respect him as far as who he is, but I respect the office of a police officer. I respect the office of a governor. I respect the office of a mayor, of a president. Why? Because I really believe God has been given them that authority. When you despise authority, it doesn't stop at the government. It starts, that's just a sign. But there's other areas that you despise as well. Your church, a pastor. You know why some people don't want to be a part of a local church? Because they don't want anybody telling them what's right and what's wrong. They want to make that decision. They want to do what the thing is. They don't want to be put under what? Authority. You know why some women won't listen to their husbands? Because they don't want to be put under authority. It's just the nature that Satan has given us. You have a responsibility to live before Christ. And if God has given government authority, you should listen to him. If you get pulled over for speeding, I give this example all the time. You get pulled over for speeding, take it. Why? You are submitting yourself to authority. Now, there are some things I said over and over again. If they tell you that you should uh, have an abortion, no, that's not God's will. If they tell you that you can't teach your children to live for Christ, no, that's not God's will. But the authority that God has given you is very clear in Deuteronomy. You go through some of the, what the book says about how people should live. That was all given to us in Deuteronomy. The law. God gave us government authority to take care of it. You think about it for a second. Was Peter a radical in his day? You say, Brother Herod, yes, he was. You're right, in a sense. But did he disobey the government just outright? When is the time that he disobeyed the government? One only time. Maybe. Okay. Yes. What did he do, though, when he was in prison? Think about this for a second. The Philippian jailer. What did he do? Did he run? Did he? He could have run, couldn't he? I'm free. God set me free. There was an earthquake. But no, he stayed. And not only did he stay, but the people there stayed as well because of his testimony. Yes. You're right. Not Peter. I'm digging at Peter and I'm talking about Saul. You're right. You're right. But I'm talking, I don't know why I'm talking about Peter here. I've got Paul in the mind and saying Peter. But Paul was what? He was obedient to, the, to what God wanted him to do. 
And I think in the same sense, when we are living by faith, we're going to follow authorities. There's an importance to say, hey, I know God's given them the authority. I need to listen to them. Yes. Right. He still went through the court system, didn't he? You think about it for the second. He could have very easily ran away from it. Not like nowadays. They got DNA that can find you in five seconds if they want to. All right. There's so much technology. They can find you in a heartbeat if they want to. Believe me. Find you by credit card, cell phone, Facebook, anything you got out there that's got connected to the Internet, they'll find you. Okay. But here's the thing. Paul could have easily just said, no, I'm not going to do this. But he went through the court system. He said, I'm a Roman. And he did the thing that was right. We, and I'm kind of just belaboring this point, but it's important. You, you find somebody that is an apostate, you'll also find somebody that does not believe in authority. They're going to do everything they can to keep themselves out under, underneath someone's authority. It doesn't just have to do, and I'm talking about the church, it doesn't have to do with the preacher. The Bible says, submit yourselves what? One to another. And I, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think. I know it's right because the Bible says it. But I'm saying, I'm, I, I hope I would apply that to my lives. And pastors, even do, he's even done that. He, you know, he's willing to submit himself to you folks too. Just like you should submit to him. Authority is just one way to show how someone does not believe God's will is important. All right. I'm do- I've run out of time. Let's close the word prayer. Let's stand together. Mohan, I'm going to ask you to remember where I stopped, okay? We talked about condemnation and character of an apostate. We're still on character. Don't me forget that, okay? Um, Brother Juan, would you close us in a word of prayer today?